Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters, Alex's Weed Week, my own Weed Week California, and Weed Week Canada at weedweek.net. And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Weed Week News. Got any feedback for us? Give us a shout. We're hello at weedweek.net. So today we've got an interview with Joe Hodis, who's the CEO of GoFire. And GoFire is sort of an elaborate, I guess, sort of vaping ecosystem. That sounds interesting. Yeah. There's a device and sort of software. It's it's pretty interesting. And jo- Joe is a guy who has been around the Green Rush for a long time. I pr- first met him in... 2014 or 2015 in Colorado. Right. And so that's where they're based, right? Yes. So he's had, he's had a lot of adventures. He, he used to be with Dixie brands and I don't know who that is. They're a big, big edibles company. Okay. Are they based in Colorado? They're based in Colorado, but they've got a presence here in California. Although I haven't seen them around much recently. I don't know why that is, but um, we're going to talk to Joe and he's one of the, one of those remaining, interviews we did in Vegas in that lovely room that we keep referencing. Um, but let's talk about uh, let's talk about Arizona. We don't talk that much about Arizona. But no. I, there's a story here that has that's really kind of pointing to the landscape of 2020 and what it might look like. So MedMen, the big California-based retail chain, which is one of the best-known brands out there, it's selling its assets in Arizona and a, a factory in Illinois. And MedMen is, is a company that has gotten a lot of attention because it's probably still the best known national cannabis brand out there. They expanded very rapidly, but they've really been hit hard by the stock market collapse. As the uh, CEO, Adam Bierman, put it, we are no longer in the land grab growth phase of this industry. I asked a question of the CEO of Weed Maps, Chris Beals, a question near the end of the podcast that we didn't really get get deep into it, but I've been thinking about it ever since. You know, these cutbacks that we're seeing and this end of the land grab phase, does that actually mean that the economy of cannabis is suffering? Or is it more the stock market that's suffering? I've said before, for I guess most of 2018, all the companies were going public and the stocks were soaring. And now the stocks are have all largely crashed. But I think publicly traded companies still account for really a tiny segment of this industry exactly overall sales continue to grow and stuff like that so it's natural to look at the stock market and say is it though well it is for some people (laughs) you you know you know me man (laughs) i feel like these narratives are kind of driven by the people who are concerned about the stock market yeah it's kind of a distortion as weed week reporters we don't own any pot stocks that's right so it shows that you know this sort of rush into the stock market into the canadian stock market for the most clear to be clear wasn't necessarily the wisest move, but companies went in because they wanted to pay off their investors. They wanted to to raise capital. But I don't necessarily think that is indicative of the industry. I mean, sort of the a clear analogy, which which I think is sort of a fair analogy, is the dot com crash, where you had a lot of companies, you know, who are the ones that always get rolled out, like pets dot com. Yeah. And- well, we talked about that last podcast. Those very same people, and I, I just always wonder: is that a, a close enough analogy? You know, because it was a lot more speculative that market than this cannabis is. There's real stuff being sold. You know, I get back to my original point, which is it's such a small part of the market, but somehow has been made emblematic of the market. I think that's totally fair. During the dot com crisis, there was real value created and sort of people going online and. 
obviously that hasn't stopped. And it's it's the same thing with weed. You, you know, sales continue to grow. States continue to legalize. The, these sort of like closely watched or high profile companies that went public are, are certainly struggling. Right. I think it's a chicken and an egg thing in terms of <laughs> them going public and becoming emblematic. And, you know, we can talk about these big people all we want. I'm really interested in Joe Hodas. How does he relate to this whole thing? Do you have a one line that will tie our guest in to what's happening in this moment? You know, he talks a lot about plant medicine. In fact, I don't think in the whole interview he uses the word even cannabis at all. He says <laughs> plant medicine. Well, that's a new bar. And, you know, so it's, it's again, in the sort of mainstreaming of cannabis. And whether or not, no matter where the stock market is, cannabis continues to become more mainstream. All right, so let's talk to Joe. Joe Hodas and special guest, Canada editor Jesse Staniforth. Welcome to the Weed Week Suite. You're the CEO of Go Fire. Can you tell us a little bit about what Go Fire is? Yeah, so Go Fire is um, a concept that is uh, really trying to take where we've been uh, from uh, originally medical and then it became so heavily wrecked. And now we're back focused, I think, in a lot of cases on medical. Well, Go Fire fulfills on the promise that consumers should have choice, control, uh, and also be able to understand the efficacy of the products they're consuming. So we have connected devices. So in this case, we have a hardware meter dose inhaler connected to our software platform. And collectively, the two of those allow people to find, dose, track, and learn about the products that they're consuming. So to break it down individually, the hardware is a meter dose inhaler, meaning that you can actually dose in two and a half milligram increments the plant-based medicine that you're consuming. Um, and then the cartridge that is in that device is actually smart chipped. So it actually re uh, reads and understands the exact chemical profile of what it is you're consuming. Uh, so that allows the consumer to then use their app to track what they're consuming, how much of it they're consuming, time of day, all of the good data that allows them to have greater control over their plant-based medicine regimen. So you've got a device and are you selling THC as well, or THC oil as well? No, we, we do not touch the plant in any way whatsoever. Um, we are a hardware provider, so we have the, the device that goes to the consumer. We have empty cartridges that go to our filling partners. Uh, and then we have the software kind of in the middle that connects all of them all together. So somebody would go to the dispensary, pick up some cannabis, put it in your device? No. So um, actually what, what they would do is just like you would buy any other cartridge, you would go to the dispensary, purchase a cartridge that is filled with um, a given manufacturer's oil. Um, but that's actually what generates the data that's on that microchip that is uh, being read by the device because the COA or the lab test results go right into that chip. So when you put that cartridge with that particular oil into the device, the device is reading based on the oil that's in the cartridge. And, and it works with any 510 thread cartridge? It does not. It's a closed loop system. So it's only our cartridge. It's proprietary to our device. Um, and it is uh, intended that way because uh, we feel that this, this closed loop system really solves a lot of the issues that exist right now in the world of vaporization. Um, I'm sure you've been, you know, I know you've been reporting out. I've seen, I've seen a lot of your uh, reporting on this, the, the vape crisis that's occurring. Our device actually addresses every single one of those issues. And really it was the reason that we created this device five years ago. So you have like brand partners and they they supply the 
the product for your device or for That's your correct. cartridges? That is correct. Okay, cool. And what states, what states are you in? Well, we've just actually launched the device um, in a more widespread fashion. We've been doing beta testing and all that good stuff for the last year. We just launched publicly in November, and right now we're just in Colorado um, intentionally. Uh, we have a lot of demand and other partners that we're looking at for other states like Ohio and Florida. Um, and, I, and I'll get back to Ohio in just a second, but Colorado is our launch base because that's where we're headquartered. And the thinking being, let's get the device into this market. Let's understand the data that we're getting back from our consumers and from our partners and make sure we work out all the bugs before we then move that into another market. Why I mentioned Ohio as being an interesting market for us is that their regulations are exactly made for our device. Um, we are probably the only device that is uh, approved by the state of, Colorado, of Ohio. How does that work? So Ohio works because they made regulations that happen to be exactly what our device offers. So as a result, you know, there's very few devices that the state of Ohio allows. Um, and vaporization, as we know, is a pretty popular format for consumption of plant-based medicine. Um, as a result, allows us to go into a market like Ohio with a pretty uh, strong demand base. So why did they create that rule aside from benefiting Go Fire? Well, I don't think they created it to benefit us, but, um, yeah, but what, I think, what's the logic behind? Well, I think the, the logic is exactly the the what we're seeing with other problems with the vaporization space, right? The logic being when that heating element is touching oil, um, it allows for heavy metal leaching. It allows for uh, degradation of the oil. So that's one problem. Two, they require dosing, right? And so dosing of a product that previously didn't have the ability to be dosed, that control that the consumer has or that the physician has to be able to prescribe something and be able to say, I want you to have two and a half milligrams of this, is a big, big piece that's missing right now that we help solve. That ability to titrate up uh, two, two and a half at a time, I know that, you know, I've, I've definitely, I know a lot of patients and stuff up north who really tell people you want above all that ability to come in slowly, particularly if you're, you're a new user. But I wanted to ask you not so much about, about new users, but we have this issue in Canada right now where we have, um, I think it's about 60% of people who self-identify as medical cannabis users are not in any kind of system at all. And is that the same thing that's going on in the United States where there's a lot of people who are self-diagnosing and self-medicating with cannabis without going through the, the existing medical system that you have? Absolutely. Um, you know, when people talk about medical and recreational, particularly in the context of the America uh, regime, um, I, I always say that those are regulatory designations, right? Because there are plenty of people that are using it medically that don't identify as a medical consumer. Um, and likewise, there are people using it medically that are probably using it more recreationally. So they're really, in my mind, they are regulatory designations and not a use case for the people using the product. So your device ties into an app by which people are supposed to be able to, I guess, have a more predictable experience, whatever they're looking for. And you seem to be emphasizing the, the, the medical experience. Can, can you tell us a little bit about how that works? Sure. So the, the app um, connects via Bluetooth to the device, right? So um, in previous iterations of other companies that have tried sort of that, that tracking uh, uh, element of this um, part of the industry, there has been a disconnect because ultimately the consumer doesn't always want to have to track their own data and doesn't always pick up their, their phone and enter in that information. Um, with ours, it connects automatically, and so it's actually tracking and telling you the exact dosage, the exact time of day, um, and you can track it over periods of time, et cetera. Then you get, you get a push notification that asks for your uh, uh, quantitative um, input on how that product affected you for the particular reason that you're consuming the product. And there are about 165 different reasons within our app that you can consume a product. And then it tracks that efficacy over time. Um, what that does is it allows the consumer to go back and see, first of all, 
Was it effective? Did I, did I, you know, get the results I was intending to? And secondly, what was that product that I was consuming that gave me the results that I wanted? And then that goes into a community database so that you, as a potentially a new uh, user, can go into that database and see if you're looking for something for back pain specifically, what is the rating against this product for that particular reason? Um, and you're able to really start at a place of knowledge rather than having to just guess or go into a store and ask a bud tender what they think. One sort of side effect of the the recent vape crisis is that Apple banned vaping apps from the from the App Store, and a lot of the apps like yours seem to be designed to, to have people help people have a healthier, more predictable experience. I mean, sort of, has there been any sort of a action to sort of try and explain that to Apple? by you and your peers, or how are you sort of getting around that, that situation? Well, our device is really meant to track and manage uh, as a medication platform. It really has nothing or little to do with specifically, you know, the plant-based medicine you're consuming. It has more to do with the ability to track the effectiveness and, and have data and inputs. Um, so I, I don't know that they're looking at it as a, a vape app. I think those are the ones that they really targeted. Oh, did they not? Your, your app is still in the, the iPhone store? Correct. Oh, lucky you. That's which is a, which is a great thing, but we are much more, I think, medically focused and information based. I didn't know they were were necessarily making that distinction. Like, I got an email the other day that a company called Da Vinci had an had an app that was kicked out of the app store, so they added some kind of a measuring device to the device itself. But it sounds like you've gotten around that. Well, we've not had that be an issue for us. Yes. So one thing. One thing I wanted to ask you about, which is sort of independent of, of GoFire, but, but has to do with sort of Colorado writ large, is I, I've written a, a piece about a Colorado company. I've written a couple of pieces about a Colorado company called Ebu, where it looks like they um, received an investment from somebody who uh, didn't, wasn't identified to the state. And the state requires people to be identified. And Ebu went on to have some substantial success. It was acquired by Canopy Growth in a nine-figure deal, cash and stock deal. And Colorado authorities have refused to address the the, the evidence that I've brought forward. The, the implication being that if this one company managed to, appears to have done that, um, it seems in all likelihood that, that other companies have have done similar things. And I was wondering, do you think Colorado is capable of enforcing these kinds of regulations? I think the state of Colorado um, created a model that didn't exist previously and has done an amazing job of implementing that model. I think it is a, a really a model that many other states uh, have followed and, and in many cases admire. Do I think from end to end that any state regulatory agency, cannabis or otherwise, can effectively monitor every aspect of it? Probably not. And I can tell you, having worked with many companies, either consulting or part of, you know, that one of the biggest challenges is the way that the state of Colorado set up those rules. It made it very hard to bring in investments. So many companies, whether through the uh, the methodology that Ebu used or uh, other methodologies, have looked for ways to bring in those investors, not to be nefarious, but more so because there was capital infusion that was necessary uh, and so they constructed models that allow for that to essentially, you know, come into the company so they can then meet the requirements of the med at the end of the funnel, which is, you know, is it stamped properly? Is it marked properly? Are they producing in a, in a safe environment? Are they licensed? All those other things that require a lot of capital. I, I, I guess just to clarify, I mean, it looks like Ebu managed to get around 
it looks from from the evidence I've, I brought forward, and we'll we'll link to the stories in the notes. But it looks like they managed to get around the state requirements. And I'm just how how rampant or how common do you think behavior like that is in the Colorado market? Well, do you even agree with the premise? I, I want to answer yeah, his I question, but do you even agree with the premise? That, about Ebu? Yeah. Well, not not about Ebu, but that these kinds of transactions that I've described are are more widespread. I don't I honestly don't know enough. I mean, I think that the the companies I am aware of that I've worked with um, have done things that are legal, uh, you know, have been vetted by lawyers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, was it the exact intent of the regulation when it was put into place? Not sure, but I can tell you that um, capital, it was a very hard thing to come by in the Colorado market. So You know, I, I just see, I read the Abu story, and I, I thought it was interesting that there was no reaction than any kind of specific reaction. It's, it would seem like an easy denial to make. Am I wrong? Am I reading the story correctly? Uh, well, it would be an easy denial if if they could honestly deny it. I'm calling it a deafening silence. A deafening silence, yeah. I think that's it. Okay, well, it was. It was. I, we haven't had anyone from Colorado on since I've been on, and I've I've wanted to hear the someone from the community. Too. I mean, I guess you know. Look, I, I would put it this way: um, I believe that the state of Colorado has done and continues to do a fabulous job of enforcing the regulatory environment that they created. Um, do I? Does uh, anyone in any state ever? I guess people do go on and talk shit oh about gosh. California. Oh gosh, California? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. No, I just All dealt. With, I just dealt. Even with in Colorado, people will, will talk shit. I mean, <laughs> I just happen to. I've been very close to it, and and I've watched this process grow. So I happen to have a particular fondness and respect for it. But absolutely, you can find people who talk shit about it now. Um, I mean, I don't dispute the premise that Colorado is probably doing a better job than just about any other state. Oh, yes, I, I think that's true as well. But uh, but I guess what I was going to say is that, you know, um, I think that if there is deafening silence, I think it's only a matter of um, as they look at the purview of, of really what they're trying to do from a regulatory standpoint, ensuring the, the safety of the consuming public and making sure that, you know, as it relates to the compliance to the end user consumer, that things are in place. I think that is their, their priority, more so than tracking down a, an errant investment. Going back to GoFire, you, you told me in, in an email a couple of months ago that you really see a path for for you to compete with pharmaceutical companies. Can, can you t- sort of lay out a little more what, what that looks like? Sure, and I want to clarify one thing. It's not so much to compete with, but more so to, to complement and to become potentially um, a R&D uh, place for them because our device allows for the capture of data and information specific to um, how the profile of that of that plant-based medicine matches to the consumers consuming it, time of day, all that good stuff. So you can actually get a jump from a development standpoint and from a, a product development standpoint to understand potentially what uh, what various um, subsets of that product are working for what various ailments, right? We can put all that together from a big data perspective on the back end, right? The consumer is doing what they do. They consume it and they pr- provide responses to it. But on the back end, if we can tear all that data down and, and look at the various constituents of that oil and say, well, it looks like across, you know, 20,000 patients, these particular um, elements show up every single time as being successful for back pain. That gives the uh, potential for some product development uh, jump starts that I think don't exist right now. There is no, if you think about the landscape of, 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 of this uh, of plant-based medicine, there aren't any products out there that provide post, uh, post-purchase consumption data from the consumer, right? I mean, I can't think of any. You have BDS and headset and all those guys on the well, No, POS I mean, that's, that's for enterprises, right? Right. Well, on the, on the POS side, like taking that sales data, 
but nothing post post purchase. What about that company Airgraph? Aren't they providing sort of feedback? And I think there are a couple other companies out there maybe doing something similar. There are companies that are um, pursuing that sort of full circle of consumption and then and then data. Um, but I think our big differentiator is, and of course, you know, most technology companies will tell you their technology is superior. Is superior. Um, our belief is that there aren't any companies that are looking at dosing uh, in the way that we are and doing it accurately. So very familiar with Airgraph, really sleek, cool little product. Um, not accurate dosing from, from our perspective in terms of how they're approaching that, that dosing methodology, which then leads to data that maybe doesn't provide the same inputs as we can provide. My my point of reference is StrainPrint, uh, which is you know which is just an app uh, for people uh, who are who are medical users to record you know their baseline and and how they've been affected. But it sounds like what what you guys are doing that's that's interesting is that this is actually built into the system of of, of dosing. Very familiar StrainPrint, big in Canada, obviously, and um, Very much so, yeah. and a good platform, really nice app, beautiful interface. Um, but again, this is that's uh, as you're pointing out, that's consumer uh, reported data in the sense that I have to use the app, I have to input the data. It doesn't automatically um, do that for me as mm-hmm. I'm consuming. Exactly. Right? So, yeah. And you're also not really positive of the actual uh, profile of the product that's being consumed. Whereas right. with our device, that closes that information loop. So you do actually have that specific data about that product. Um, I'll add to it though. Our platform also allows for other modalities, so edibles, topicals, tinctures, um, to be tracked as well through our dose code and our barcode product. So within our app, you can actually scan what we call dose code, is QR code that has the um, that has the batch level data uh, of the product, similar to our cartridges. Is that a um, a GoFire? It's not a GoFire. It's no nope. It's not at all. Uh, well. Sorry, let me re- rephrase that. It is in the sense that the, the dose code um, at the batch level data, we have to work with individual brands to pull that data in. But the barcode product, you could pick up that you know bottle of iced tea and it has a barcode on it. You can scan that barcode. You can bring up information about that product. And then the consumer inputs, you know, I'm having five milligram dose. So it gets back to more of the, it's a l- one step further removed from that pure data that we get through the cartridges, but it still allows a, a potential consumer to manage all of their um, inputs from one single platform. Well, it has a sort of a Fitbit element to it, where you're you're not actually necessarily having to write down, I consume this much at this time, right? Because it's keeping the data for you. Although you yeah. still, of course, I guess, have to input your uh, your response to it too. To well, your response, but we push, we get push notifications, we gamify it a little bit to get people engaged in the platform. Um, but you know, it's also much easier to respond to a push and rate things real quickly versus having to say, this is how much I had, this is the time I had, and all that good stuff. Of so. course, yeah. All right. I, I think that's about all the time we have. But Joe Hodes, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Alex. I really appreciate it. It was great to see you. Really glad you came through. Thank you. Great to meet you as well. That's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News or email us at hello at weedweek.net. We ended up with kind of an amazing Twitter thread when our account tweeted out Roger Obando's episode. Did you like that one? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the conversation. Did you enjoy the conversation with Roger? I thought it was a great conversation. It with was. Roger. It was very intellectual. He's got a book coming out, so that's really fun. But no, I, I'm talking more about the, um, the thread itself. The thread itself was kind of an intellectual extension of the conversation we had on the podcast. I guess it's episode 89, if you want to check it out. I have to, <laughs> it was about conscious capitalism. Jesse Staniforth tweeted, And this is to Weed Week News, me, Alex, a few others. He tweets, The problem with consciousness is that it isn't generally the person who aspires to said state that decides its success. 
You can definitely aspire to be woke, but at the end of the day, the question is how you can square your business practices with your ethics. I might have mangled that, but you know what I mean. It's a good question. Yeah, it's a real question, and I, I'm going to I'm going to say that that's not the most intellectual proposition in this thread. <laughs> it got a little out of hand quickly. Yeah, it got. Pretty dorm room, I would say. <laughs> yeah, it was a cannabis uh, stereotype of, of dorm rooms. Um, anyway, you can check us out at Weed Week News. I thought that one was worth going back to. Sign up for our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California, all at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our show is produced by Donnie Alexander and engineered by Larry Buell. Alicia Beyer wrote our theme music. We'll see you again here next week. Later. <laughs>